You know, one of our core convictions around here is that when we do gather in this room Sunday morning, that what happens in here ought to radiate out into the rest of the week. Specifically, that Sunday should actually affect Monday through Saturday. That this is not just something we, we do on Sunday and then leave it on the shelf until next week. And it's, it's part of that core conviction that, you know, we believe that, that the week as the church, Monday to Saturday, is an opportunity for us to live out our faith day in and day out. But I've done some research this past week very carefully and discovered that not everyone shares that conviction. Specifically, not everyone is excited that tomorrow is Monday. And the research that I've done, I've compiled it for you in a couple of things. I've noticed by what some people are posting online. We've got some examples. Take a look at this. Of course it's Monday. Does this look like my Friday face? <laughs> some people actually feel that way. Or this one, when you're back at work Monday morning trying to put on that smile. Now, <clears throat> that's a great picture of a kid, but I want, you, I want to draw attention to the fact that this was probably done on a Monday morning because that should be Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. They kind of messed up there. It should have been the, the contraction and not the possessive. Number three, check this one out. Weekend, please don't leave. Anybody feeling that way this morning? Like as you think about, okay, that's cool, that's cool. This, this next one I think kind of sums it up the best. It's Monday, better get ready for work. Now I'm not endorsing that perspective or that prescription, but I'm saying a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people may be thinking about school, even though many people are on spring break this week. A lot of people thinking about going back to work. But I want to ask you a question. Wherever you are personally, wherever you are spiritually, and whatever you believe about God, can you even imagine a scenario in which God would send his only son to give us life, abundant, full, and overflowing, and that that life that is truly life wouldn't extend into our work, wouldn't extend into what we do day in and day out. It, it doesn't really even make sense that that would even be a remote possibility in God's economy. I remember when Julie and I had just moved to Austin 22 years ago or so. I, I remember, you know, we had two very small children, Emily and Joe. Emily was three, Joe was one, and we were just getting the church up off the ground and kind of scratching and clawing literally for survival as a church. But when I would get home in the afternoon and Julie had been home with our two toddlers all day, that was when I really saw what scratching and clawing for survival really looked like. How many of you know that feeling of, anybody home with toddlers right now maybe, or you, you have that experience or maybe it's close enough in your memory, you know what I'm talking about. I remember one time in particular, Julie, we had finally gotten the kids to bed, and, and one night, Julie kind of, in, in a moment, just kind of unloaded a little bit. She'd been kind of working through some of this and processing it, and she goes, I literally don't know what I do every day. Any moms ever feel like that? I'm just curious. I mean, like, you're just like, what did I do today? And I'm like, listen, I get it. But you have to understand that the fact that you kept these two toddlers alive for the last 24 hours is a monumental task. 
I mean, you, you're, it's not just feeding and cleaning and all those kind of things and playing with them. You're, you're connecting with them. You're bonding with them. And, and I think it's important for all of us to understand whether you work in the marketplace or the home place or you're a student or wherever you are and whatever you do, that work is a huge opportunity for our spiritual growth and development. I think it's important for us to understand that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, means that our work really matters. The gospel radically transforms work from just a, a vocation to be tolerated for pay and transforms it into a, an incredible opportunity, an incredible opportunity to be enjoyed as praise. And those are two very, very different things. So whatever you're thinking about your Monday is going to look like, you have the opportunity to treat it as worship. For the last few weeks, we've been in this teaching series called Bring It. And we've seen throughout this series that every single part of our lives is an expression of worship in God's economy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 has kind of been our, our pillar verse for this entire series. And it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The first week of this series, we kind of honed in on that do it all part that every part of our lives are designed to be an, ex an expression of worship. Last week, we, we really dove into the whole glory of God thing. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like as we play it out through our lives? But this week, I want us to, to step back for a second and consider just the verb do. What, whatever you do, do it all. I, I think a lot of people see work as a four-letter word. And I don't mean just because it has four letters. I mean, they, they, they see work as a, as a necessary evil. Work is, is just an occupation to be tolerated because you get paid. And, and I understand where that comes from because work by definition, you want to write this down on your notes page in your program, work by definition is work. That, that's really profound, I know. But it, it is, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter where you go, think of the most glamorous job you can imagine, whatever that might be for you. And I promise you, there are parts of that job that are just hard work, that, that are just tedious, that, that, are, that are boring from time to time, that, that it requires, as a matter of fact, Every job that I've ever examined or looked at, everybody that I've ever talked to who does anything of any value has always said that the most valuable, important part of their work is the stuff that they do when nobody's watching, the stuff that happens when nobody's around. As I said, I remember when, when our children were very, very little, I would come home and, and Julie a couple of times early on was, would express frustration, be like, I, I don't know what I did today. How many any stay-at-home moms ever feel like that? Like you just kind of look around and go, what, what in the world? When in reality, I, I said it jokingly, but, but seriously, keeping toddlers just around and, and staying sane is incredible, incredible work. 
And, and I would have to remind Julian and kind of step back and go, hey, let, let's take the high altitude view here. It's not just that you were, you know, here and now that you're kind of like twitching a little bit and, and feeling it. But, but you're, you're connecting with these kids on a soul level every single day. What, what you do really and truly matters. And, and I think it's important that we understand work from God's perspective matters no matter what you do. That, that you don't have to be a, a pastor or a missionary or, or anything else to make your work, make your mission, your ministry you know, we've got the Spur Leadership Conference coming up here in a few weeks, and we are so excited about the opportunity that God has given to us to speak into the lives of people who will not darken the doors of a church. It happens every single time we host this conference. But one of the things that we've been really surprised to find out is not only how God uses it in the lives of non-Christians, but also the opportunity that it is in the lives of followers of Christ. Do you know how many people through the Spur Leadership Ministry have said to us, man, I, I, I just didn't know that my job could matter this much. I, I was getting up and going to work every day and cashing the paycheck, but it just didn't, it didn't have meaning. It didn't have significance. And, and I want to I shout from the rooftops, my brother, my sister, yes, it has meaning. Yes, it has significance. You have the opportunity to make your mission, your ministry right here, right now. And you probably do not have to change jobs. Now, for some of you, that may be a frustration because you're looking for an excuse to change jobs. Do not raise your hands, especially if you're on staff at Lake Hills Church. But my point is, we all get to use our work as worship. You see, the good news of Jesus radically transforms work from an occupation to be tolerated for pay into a vocation to be celebrated in praise, to, to step back and to see that every single thing that we do matters and has significance in the eternal perspective that God calls us to live our lives out of. And, and I want to get at this through a passage of Scripture that's found in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, there's a fascinating passage. As Paul is writing to the fledgling church in Colossae. He's explaining to them how the gospel plays out. How do they live this out day in and day out in their lives? And I want to read this passage just very quickly, but we're going to unpack this in the time that we have left here this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and following. This is what the Bible says. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Now, let's just take a time out right there. Let's take that verse down for a second because we have to explain something real quick here. This is not an endorsement of slavery. Paul is speaking into a particular context 2,000 years old. We have to pull back our 21st century mindsets and go, well, okay, let, let's think about what Paul is speaking into. And in this day and age, slavery... And servanthood was the primary, the primary means of employment. So it's not saying that slavery is okay. It's not saying that it's good. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that the gospel means that in Christ Jesus, there is neither slave nor free, that we all have equal value at the foot of the cross, and we are all 
precious in his sight, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. But in this particular context, Paul is speaking directly into the economics of that culture, of that day. And so I think we have to kind of extrapolate a little bit, but these principles transcend time and cultures. These principles hold true. So everybody just kind of calm down. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, we're good. Now, we, you could change the word slaves for employees, master for manager, whatever the case may be. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Skip down to verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves, to your employees. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Now, Paul is speaking right at this, this idea, this issue of vocation. The, the idea that, that every single one of us is created by God with a calling. That, that's what the word vocation means. It's a, it's a calling. It, it gives us the same word that gives us vocals or, or a vocation. That, that we are called by God to a specific task, to a specific purpose. And in that calling, we find purpose and significance, and that's where the gospel flows out of our lives most freely. Let me ask you a question. Whatever you think about God, whatever your concept of who God is, can you even imagine a scenario within which he would commission his only son, Jesus, to come to earth in order to give us life overflowing, abundant, the fullest life imaginable, and that that abundance wouldn't extend into our work life, into our labor, it, it doesn't even make sense. And, and this is what we are called in a relationship with Christ to play out and to live out every single day. Now, I, I don't know what each one of you does for a living or for your job. I, I will tell you for myself as a pastor, preaching working and preparing to get ready to preach every single week, there, there's really nothing glamorous about it. I mean, it is just sitting down, studying, reading, praying, writing, editing, studying, reading, praying, writing, editing, rehearsing, getting ready to go. Sunday morning is the easiest part of my week. It's what happens between Sundays when nobody else is around. That's, that's the, the grind, if you will. But I also know this, that it is in that grinding, it is in that work that God is supernaturally moving and preparing, not just in my heart, but also in yours. That, that God is moving and it is because of that that I see that time early in the morning on Tuesday, on Tuesday morning, when I'm quiet and alone and it's just God and me and, and a blank page with a cursor blinking on my laptop, that's 
where the magic happens. That's where God shows up. So I don't don't know what your blank page is. I don't know what your blinking cursor looks like, but I do know that it's in that moment that you have an opportunity to connect what you do with who God is. And he invites every one of us to do that. It's this idea of a calling. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's too important for us to just skate by it here. As we think about making our work our worship, you have to understand a call from God. And that's something that nobody can give to you. You can have help from trusted friends and counselors and mentors, but ultimately it comes down to you and God. So I want to just ask you, if you will, take your program out and write down the word call. Just write down the left-hand side, just you know, about half of the page maybe. Just write the word call, C-A-L-L. And we're going to make this a little bit more interactive. Some of you may remember back in the early days of Lake Hills Church, we were known as the Church of the Acrostic. And we, we believe that an acrostic can be anointed by God and used to help us grow in our faith and use our faith Monday through Saturday. But this word call absolutely falls under that heading. So as we go through, I'm going to ask you to kind of help me out a little bit with C-A-L-L. Number one, C. Give me a C. C. C stands for your contribution. Your contribution. What is it that you uniquely have to contribute in this world? What is it that you do well? It may be your talents. It may be your skills. What is it that you want to make a difference doing? Your your contribution in the world. I think too many times our first thought, our first step in thinking about what we're going to do when we grow up is how much we're going to make. I don't think I'm alone in that. I know you don't want to nod or raise your hand, but I'm just saying that was my first step. When I began thinking about what I was going to do when I grew up, when I was in high school, I remember getting ready to take the PSAT, and I started having this thought process. I remember this as vividly as I'm standing here with you this morning. I I thought, the PSAT is to get ready to take the SAT. The SAT is to get into college. I want to get into college so I can get out of college and get a job and earn a living. What do I want to do when I get out of college? That, That was my thought process when I was 15. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I like people. I'm I'm kind of full of it. I can talk. And so I I, I would enjoy sales as long as the money's good enough. I remember having that thought. But then in a divine intervention, I believe with everything that I have, God began to move in my life. And I remember thinking that that last little phrase, as long as the money's good enough, was not reason enough to get up and go every day. Part of it was because I had seen my dad kind of go through the, the classic midlife crisis and hit the eject button on our family and start a new career. And, and I knew that he had never really enjoyed his job, and so that was part of the deal. And so I thought, what would you do if money were no object? If you made a dollar a year or a billion an hour, what would you do? That's actually a really good way to go about thinking about it. If money were no object, what would you love to do? Now, let me quickly say, money's an object. Tell your neighbor right now, money's an object. You didn't sound very convinced of that. That's true for everybody. We've all got to eat. 
It takes money to live. I understand that. But when you're thinking about a calling, your first step, your first thought ought to be, what can I contribute? What can I offer that, that maybe I could get paid for? What, what's your contribution? A, give me an A. A. A is your aptitude. Your aptitude. Now, that's going to contribute to your contribution. But your aptitude is what you do well. I've jokingly told you before, but it's actually really, really true. I knew early on I was never going to be a professional athlete. When I say early on, I was about 38. But I knew, (laughs) I knew that that wasn't wasn't what God had created me for. He didn't give me enough fast twitch muscles. That just wasn't wasn't in the cards for me. But again, I like people. I I can speak. Did you know that statistically speaking, people are more afraid of public speaking than of death? I have never been afraid to speak publicly. Now, I'm nervous every single time I stand up because of the responsibility attached to it, but I've never been afraid of it. That's just an aptitude I think that God gave me. I think when I came to a relationship with Christ, there were spiritual gifts that he gave me that that helped amplify that aptitude. But what you do something well. I mean, you, you do. It's part of your responsibility as a human being that God gave breath to to figure out what that is and where you can contribute your aptitude. L, give me an L. L. This is fun. What do you love? What do you love to do? Now, I am not telling you follow your passions. Follow your dreams. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you just go follow your passions, you very well may starve. (laughs) But you do have things that that stir your soul, things that, that move you. It may be that your vocation is just a vehicle for the vision God has for your life. Did you hear that? Your your vocation could be just the vehicle for the vision God has for your life. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What, what what, What gets you fired up in the morning? I have a really good friend who is a financial manager. And so all he does every day is build relationships with his clients, but also manage their assets so that they can retire one day, so that they can have some financial security. And he, said, he told me one time something fascinating. He said, Mac, I have never, ever liked math. I'll never forget the day he told me that. I was like, don't you kind of have to do math every day? Like, you know, stocks and bonds and numbers and money. He goes, oh, yeah, I have to do it. He goes, but I just see it as something to get to. That's a means to the ends. The ultimate reason I'm doing this is to serve my clients. And I love people. And I love setting them up to know that they can sleep at night so that they can see that that they're going to be taken care of in their later years, that their kids' college is going to be paid for. You see, he understands that his vocation is a vehicle for the vision God has given him. If you're unsatisfied in your work right now, it may just be a vision problem. It it may be just the fact that you've never stepped back and said, how could God use me right here, right now? What do you you love? What what gets you fired up to see people thrive and flourish, and how can you contribute to that? L is what you love. But there's one more L, C-A-L-L. Give me one more L. 
I'm just going to tell you before I tell you what this one is, this is the hardest one. This is the hardest part. Leading. It's a leading from God. You see, this is where we get quiet. We get still before God and we say, God, have your way with me. What what would you have me do if, if I were to completely sell out to you, God, what would that look like? Where would you lead me? What would you have me to do? One of the things that I think is, is phenomenal about our faith is the fact that God is always, always revealing new facets of his personality and his character to us as we, as we go and as we hopefully grow. And, it, and it, a lot of times those new facets are, are parallels with new stations in life. It's been fun for Julie and me to watch our kids, Emily and Joe, process their own vocation, their own callings as, as they've grown up. Now as Emily is out of college working on her master's, Joe is getting ready to graduate college in just a couple of months. And, and to watch them figure that out on their own, to let them figure that out on their own. And Joe's been particularly fascinating, but I, I think I think through Joe and Emily's processes, I've seen something of how God took me through a similar process, albeit 30 years ago. Now, a couple of years ago, our son Joe was headed headlong into a career as an actor. He, would, he was pursuing a career in the theater. And I was all for it. I said, Joe, if that's what God wants you to do, that's what I want you. If that's what God wants you to do, that's what I want you to do. I promise, I have no dog in that fight. You, you figure it out, and if God wants you to be an actor, I want you to be an actor. Now, I did follow that up by saying, you need to understand something. When you graduate college, you're still buying your own food, even if you're an out-of-work actor. I am not a patron of the arts. I believe in you. I think you'll do great, but just keep that in mind. Slowly but surely, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, God began to work on Joe. And slowly but surely, Joe figured out completely independent of Julie and me that that God was calling him into vocational ministry, that, that he was called into ministry. Emily had a similar experience a few years before that. They both are doing that, but that's their deal. When Joe told Julie and me that he was called into ministry, we, we were so careful to make sure that it wasn't anything about what we do for a living or our calling, that it was completely his. We kind of stepped back and went, okay, that's great. And I'll never forget Joe looked back at us and he goes, I was kind of expecting a little more support than that. <laughs> but you know, we wanted to make sure that it was his calling, that it's his vocation. And if it is, listen, there's nobody who would be a bigger fan. For Emily, the same thing. To step back and, and see your kids step into more fully who God's created them to be. I think that's what God wants for all of us. To step more fully into who he's created us to be. Back to Colossians chapter 3. I think it's important to understand how that calling 
becomes a reality. How we make our vocation a vehicle for the vision God has for us. Number one, you have to decide that you will honor Christ. If you work backwards through this passage, honor Christ. He says, the master you are serving is Christ. Your ultimate boss, your authority is Jesus. So that's true if you're a student in a classroom or an attorney in a courtroom. If you're a pastor, if you are a teacher, if you are a stay-at-home parent, whatever you do, our ultimate master is Christ. So we honor Christ. We, we make this work that we do an expression of worship. Number two, honor the work. Honor the work. What does he say? He said, work willingly at whatever you do. Like I told Joe, I don't care if you're going to be an actor, a pastor, or, or whatever. You just work hard and get good at it. Work willingly at whatever you do. Number three, honor the boss. Honor the boss. Serve them sincerely, the word of God says. So that means that you don't just kind of do the bare minimum. Man, especially if you're a Christian, whoa, you're not watching the clock on the wall. You're not just kind of skating by. You're actively engaged in the work. You honor the work that you do. It's amazing what happens when we honor our work. When I was in college here at the University of Texas, I worked at Shepler's Western Wear. Now, I started out in jeans, but I got promoted to shaping hats. And that was where the big money started coming in. But man, I, I'm going to tell you something. How many of you have ever worked retail before? Can I just see a show? If you've ever worked retail, man, it, it can be great and it can be so dull. I mean, nobody's showing up, nobody walking in the doors. January the 6th, nobody comes to, to, to shop. But I remember those days when I was in college, when it was dull, when I would go make something up to do. I would restack and reorganize the stacks of Wrangler jeans. It was amazing how fast the day went. I remember one time a couple of women came in and, and I, I said, may I help you in the jeans department? And she said, all right, let me see how good you are. What size jeans do you think I wear? I said, no, ma'am. I'll recommend a color, I'll recommend a style, I'll recommend a brand, but you're on your own for the sizing. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. I learned how to work with, with different people. I remember one of my coworkers used to use God's name in vain a lot, like, like just taking a deep breath. And, and I had this thought one day at work. I thought, you know, if she, and this was a woman, by the way. I said, if she were talking about my mom, I would say something. You don't talk about mama. And so I, I thought and I prayed about how to respond. I just said, hey, I said, I love working with you. I said, but every time you say God's name like that, I said, that's that's the most important thing in my life. So if you don't mind, would you mind just using another expression? She said, I am so sorry. 
that's just the house I grew up in. I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry. How cool was that that she responded like that? Again, I, I learned in that moment working retail, I was like, okay, she didn't believe the same thing I believe. She didn't live the same way that I'm trying to live. And so I learned how to interact and relate to people who were far from God. And I, I, I saw what work could do. And it was through that experience and a lot of others like it that God began to shape and mold my heart and, and to point me in the direction of my calling. But it happened through work. It happened through doing something. I, I remember man, getting that paycheck. Shepler's was a formative event in my life. I remember the first time I applied for a job, they said, okay, great, we'll call you. I went home, I was like, call me, call me. Two days later, I hadn't heard anything. Picked up the phone, hi, this is Mac Richard, can I talk to the manager? Randy, Mac Richard, I turned in an application two days ago. Yeah, we, we've got a lot of applications, a lot of people coming back to school this time of year. We'll call you, I'll, we'll call you by tomorrow, I promise you. I said, great, thank you. <laughs> Waited 24 hours, no word from Randy. Picked up the phone and called him again. Oh, yeah, Mac, I'm sorry I didn't call you. We've got so many applications. right? It's just crazy up here. I promise you, I'll call you tomorrow. Psh. No word. Then I got in my car. I drove to Shepler's. Walked in the door. Said, hey, Randy, I'm Mac. We're trying to go. Yeah. He was so happy to see me. I said, yeah, I mean, I really, I need a job. He goes, let me... I'm going to let you talk to the manager of our jeans department. Claire, Claire, come here. He called Claire over. It's called dishing off is what Randy was doing. I said, man, I would love to work. I've worn jeans my whole life. I've been studying for this. <laughs> she goes, well, let me, let, me, let me look at our applications. And I'll think about it. I'll call you tomorrow. This was a week. I'll call you tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow. I was relentless. First time I'd ever done this in my life. It's like <sighs> pit bull. <sighs> I, it is, I wasn't letting go. She didn't call me that day. The next morning, 10 a.m., soon as the doors opened and that smell of leather wafted out into the Austin air, it's like, hey, Claire. <laughs> it's like, hey, Mac. Sure, you can have a job. She never just tired of me. I just wore him down. <laughs> it's work. But what I learned was that when you make your work your worship, then your vocation, your 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 vocation is that vehicle for the vision God has for your life. It was in that experience that I met so many people I never met would have met at church. And the people that I met at Shepherd's Western Wear, the people that I met playing pickup basketball at Gregory Gymnasium, those people inform everything that we do every day as a church. God will use your work if you will work. You see, work is not just an occupation to be tolerated for pay. Work is a vocation, a calling to be celebrated as praise. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
to the full, overflowing, abundant. This is who he is and this is what he does. This is what we declare in our lives and as a church. Now, I don't know where you are today. This may be completely new information for you. But understand that it all flows out of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, if you've never stepped into the good news, you've never chosen to respond to the grace initiative of Jesus and choose to follow him, why not right now? Why not right now choose to make every part of your life an expression of worship. Worshiping the only one who is worthy of your life. The only one who gave his life for yours. The only one who instills meaning and significance and purpose into everything that you do, who, who permeates every pore of your life. This same Jesus. If you'd like to begin life with God, in a relationship with God, we invite you to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. Just talking to God and saying silently, just right where you are, just pray as God leads you, something like this. Just say silently, Jesus, I need you. I need you and I want you, Jesus. I want the peace, the purpose, and the power that you promise And so right now, I confess my sin to you, all of it. Lord, I'm holding nothing back. I confess my sin and I claim I accept your forgiveness. And I choose to believe that you died on the cross and you rose again for me. And so Jesus, I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. But it's a sacred moment because when God moves in one person's life to respond to that grace initiative, and that person, a a man or a woman or a student, responds and 
steps into that relationship, that's the biggest moment of their lives. It's a sacred moment. And so if that was your prayer, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things because we want to help. Our responsibility as a family of faith, as a church with you, is to help in, in what's next. And so if you would, take out the program that you got when you came in today, just right now, quietly, and begin filling out the Connect card that's there in the program. Name and information, we keep all of that internal, obviously. About a third of the way down, you'll see there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you finish that card, just tear it off along the perforation that's on the fold there. And before you leave in just a couple of minutes, I want to ask you to make sure that you hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. And that'll just start a conversation that will proceed at whatever pace works for you. Like I said, so that we can help. Second thing that I want to ask you to do, if you would, just, just raise your hand quietly, but unmistakably, raise, raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there for a second. Your hand in the air is a representation physically of what just happened spiritually. It's just a statement. A statement for you that says, this actually happened, it was real, and it was once and for all. Now begins the process of growing in that relationship. But it's also a statement that says this happened in this church where it's the most important thing in the world to us. And so we honor that as a family. We celebrate it. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.